Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, open it up, please, to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, before we pray, we're going to read from verses 15 to 21. Now, for those I haven't met, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the college pastor here. Uh, We're glad to have you here. And uh, students, we're also glad if any of you are back in town. I know I saw a few this morning, but we're glad to have you here. And uh, we would love to also let you know you're free to join us at college class starting up next Sunday again across the street at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. So we're glad you're here. All right, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word, and uh, we're grateful for the challenge that it issues to us to spend our days, to spend our time in keeping with the things that matter to you. Father, we pray that we would arrange our time to reflect your priorities. Father, we pray as we study your word that you would help us to understand it. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would open up our minds to understand. We pray remove any distractions from us. This morning, whether they are things from the previous week or even things that are going on right now as we sit here, uh, we just pray, focus our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray, move within our hearts that we would believe. We pray, uh, remove any doubts or fears that might keep us from believing your word. And then, Father, empower us through your Holy Spirit, uh, our hands, our feet, our bodies to obey you. Lord, we just ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple of years ago, I ran across an article in the news, and uh, it was titled Divorce Wars, Woman Kills Hubby's Avatar. And uh, here's what it said. A 43-year-old Japanese piano teacher's sudden divorce from her online husband in a virtual game world made her so angry that she logged on and killed his digital persona, police said Thursday. The woman who has been jailed on suspicion of illegally accessing a computer and manipulating electronic data used his identification and password to log on to popular interactive game MapleStory to carry out the virtual murder. She says, I was suddenly divorced without a word of warning. That made me so angry. The official quoted her as telling investigators and admitting the allegations. She has not yet been formally charged, but if convicted, could face a prison term of up to five years or a fine up to $5,000. As in Second Life in the United States, players in Maple Story raise and manipulate digital images called avatars that represent themselves while engaging in relationships, social activities, and fighting against monsters and other obstacles. The woman used login information she got from the 33-year-old office worker when their characters were happily married and killed the character. The man complained to police when he discovered that his beloved online avatar was dead. The police official said he did not know if she was married in the real world, although I have a good guess to that. All right, now, uh, when I read this article, the first thing I thought was, this is kind of funny. Uh, Because none of this is real, right? She wasn't really married to this man. It wasn't a real divorce. It wasn't a real life. It's just a game. 
And you get into the game and you pretend to be yourself in another world, except it's a, it's a self that can fight monsters and go on quests. And I thought, this is very bizarre. Uh, the second reaction that I had to it was, this is really sad. It's really sad because of all the time and the energy that both of these people have poured into a life that isn't real. Uh, This woman who's invested all of her emotions into a fake husband. We don't know if she has a real one or not, but she's invested all of this energy and all of this emotion into this game to the point where she wants to kill his character. And this man who was so angry about the loss of his cartoon character that he called the police and turned her in. And I thought, this is a tragic waste of time. Tragic waste of life that could be spent in productive ways. Uh, The third reaction that I had as I read it was conviction. Because I thought, how much time do I spend in things that are ultimately unproductive? That aren't really going to matter. And I think most of us, if we were to think back over our last uh, day or week or year, we would have to acknowledge that we spent our time often in ways that were wasteful. In ways that, as Paul describes in Ephesians, they're dissipation. We've frittered away the time and it's not ever going to come back. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, every few years, they do a survey of Americans to see how are we using our time. And they call it the American Time Use Survey. And here's a chart from uh, their, one of their recent surveys. It shows how do people who are 25 to 54 with children, on average, uh, use their time on an average workday. This is, I fit into this category, and I know many of you here would as well. You notice working-related activities is probably the largest chunk. This is people who are uh, working outside the home, so eight to nine hours. Sleeping, seven to eight hours. Uh, caring for others, one to two hours. Eating and drinking. Another hour or so, household activities, another hour, and then everything else, 1.7 hours. And then there's this category, leisure and sports, 2.6 hours. Now, I saw that, and I thought that was interesting. On average, people in uh, my stage of life, at least, are spending uh, more than twice as much time on entertainment as they are on caring about other people, uh, doing anything else, except for maybe sleeping and working. All right, and you may look at that, and you think, there's no way I spend that much time on entertainment. I would challenge you to uh, chart your time sometime. You say, my time doesn't look like this. Fair enough. How does your time look? This category of other, 1.7 hours, that includes everything from going to the store to talking on the phone. Uh, Even religious activities are included in that. Going to church, praying, reading your Bible, telling others about the faith. All of those things are included in that 1.7 hours. And what was interesting about it was this, that only 6% of the population engages in any religious activities during the weekdays. That is, most people who engage in any religious activities only do so on Sundays. And then throughout the week have no connection with their faith in terms of their time. All right, that is uh, less time spent generally on religious activities than people spend grooming. The average person spends about 50 minutes a day grooming. I know there are gentlemen in here thinking I spent about less than 50 seconds, uh, but there are on average, 50 minutes of your day for the 82% who actually do groom themselves. Um, Other things on the list include shopping, banking, going to the doctor, etc. But I thought it was interesting, all of this time that we spend in entertainment activities, right? And it's not that entertainment is wrong, but we have to ask, is this where we want to spend the bulk of our discretionary time? Some of you, you are, I know, saying, I don't spend that much time on entertainment. And you may not. 
It may be that your challenge with your time is not frittering it away on the internet or on television shows or on games, but your challenge is you're incredibly busy and your life is packed with stuff. But if you got to the end of a week or the end of a year, you can't really say that the stuff you're doing is stuff that's eternally significant, eternally meaningful or really valuable. You're running 150 miles an hour. You're going from place to place, taking your kids from place to place and activity to activity. And then you go to an activity and they do and you're going in a thousand directions, but you get to the end of your days and you might look back and say, why did, why did I do that? What am I running for? Have I ever matched the priorities of my life with the activities of my life? Have I ever said, this is what I want my life to be about. So how am I spending my time? Uh, This discussion is very convicting to me because I can think back just even in the last 24 hours and say, I know there are ways I spent my time that were not the most productive use of my time. And the scripture makes it very clear that our time is a God-given resource given to us for a purpose, for his purposes. Very famous quote from Benjamin Franklin. He says, do not squander time for that is the stuff life is made of. You're a college student, you're a young professional, maybe even if you are a little bit further along in your life, you may be tempted to think that the most valuable resource you have is your money. But as I look at the scripture, one of the things that I see in the scripture is that your time is actually more valuable. And I think that's because you can always make more money, can always get another job, can always sell something, cut down your expenses. You can always make more money. You can never make more time. You have an infinite, very limited amount of it. No matter what you do, you've got the same 24 hours in your day that the rest of us do. You've got the same 52 weeks in a year, and you've got a lifespan that could end today. It could end 80 years from now, but you don't know. And each day, you're spending that bank. And so the question the scripture challenges us to ask is, how are we going to spend that bank? As we enter into a new year, I wanted to talk from the scripture about how do we use our time? Because a mature disciple of Jesus Christ is aware of how he or she uses his time and works to use it in ways that are honoring to God. So I want to look at a few principles from the scripture about our time and how we arrange them. And I'm going to give us a challenge as we walk away this morning to think, this afternoon to think about how do I use my time and how can I possibly rearrange it in ways that are God-honoring. All right, so the first principle that we're going to see from the Scripture is simply this. Uh, Your time is short. My time is short. Uh, We don't have much of it. Uh, Psalm 39, 44 to 5, put it up here for us. It says, Lord, make me to know my end. What is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient I am. Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Most of us can probably remember the first encounter that we had uh, with the fact that mortality exists, that life is short. For me, it was when I was a child and uh, I had an aquarium filled with tropical fish. And uh, I had all of these fish and we brought them home from the store and we set them up and uh, they were swimming around and I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and looked at my tank and one of the fish Uh, was no longer swimming as he should have been. It looked like maybe he was trying to look at the ceiling uh, or something along those lines. He was upside down floating at the top of the tank and I kind of touched him and realized uh, he's gone. He has passed on 
into another fish world, wherever it is that he goes. And uh, so I, I was probably six or seven. I began to cry. I was devastated by this experience. And so I walked into my mom's room to seek comfort. And uh, I began to cry, mom, the catfish has died, whatever, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And my mom, in her comforting way, she turned around and she rolled her eyes almost all the way to the back of her head. And she said, son, uh, if this is how you're going to act every time a fish dies, we're not going to have fish in this house anymore. And then she said something I will never forget. She said, Matt, this is what fish do. They die. All right. Now, as if this is the very meaning of a fish's life, right? It's born, it dies. That's what they do. Their lives are very short. And that was my first encounter with mortality. Now, the reality is your life, my life, hopefully are longer than a fish, but they're still short. Psalm 39, four to five says that our days are like a hand breadth. The hand breadth was the shortest unit of Hebrew measurement, four fingers across, just like this. What is that? Maybe three or four inches, depends on how big your hands are. But a hand breadth, very short. It says at best, you're a breath. Next couple of days, it's gonna be cold outside. It'll drop below the freezing mark. You can walk outside and just take a breath. Watch that breath accumulate in the air and then it dissipates. That's your life. That's my life at best. The average life expectancy in the United States is about uh, 78 years. 78 years. Think about your age now. Some of you are 19, 20, 21. Maybe you have 60 years left if the Lord blesses, if your health continues. Maybe you're 40. Maybe you're 60. How many years do you have left? Let me put this in perspective. If you're 20 years old right now, you may feel like I've got plenty of time. On average, if you live to the average life expectancy, you have about 21,000 days left. Uh, You'll spend 7,400 of those days asleep. You'll spend about 875 of them eating food. And that leaves about 13,000 days of productivity remaining. So the question is, what are you going to do with those days? If you're 40, that leaves about 8,200 productive days remaining. Some of you are nervous that I'm going to keep going. I'm not. All right. Your life is short. It's a breath, a mist. So the scripture challenges us to utilize our time, our life, in ways that are productive, that are meaningful and honoring to God. Many of you have seen the uh, now relatively older movie called Dead Poet Society. probably came out about 20 years ago. Story of a private school and this teacher and his classroom. John Keating is the name of the teacher, played by Robin Williams. And you remember, there's a scene in the movie where Keating, early on, he takes his students out into the hallway and he has them look at the trophy case that displays the accomplishments of students who have come before them from years past. And in this trophy case are pictures of students in the prime of their youth. They're looking at the camera and he says, look at them. They, like you, were young. They were going to conquer the world. They had plans. They had dreams. He said, you know what they're doing now? They're pushing up daisies. He says, if they could talk to you now, what would they say? Carpe diem. Seize the day. Carpe diem. And that's the theme of the movie. You have limited time. So make use of your time. Now, unfortunately, that movie, the theme is very humanistic. Use your time in ways that please you, in ways that bring personal significance. What we're going to see from the scripture is we are to use our time in ways that bring honor and glory to God. Because it's limited. 
Even if you live to 80 or longer, your time is short. Keep your finger in Ephesians for a moment and flip over to the book of Ecclesiastes, right after Proverbs and right before Song of Solomon. I want to look at Ecclesiastes 12 for just a minute. Ecclesiastes, if you're familiar with it, is a book in which the author, probably King Solomon, evaluates the meaning and the purpose of his life. And he struggles with the fact that a life is short and much of what we do seems to be vanity, seems to be useless. And right here at the end of the book, as he's summing up what is the purpose and the meaning of our life in chapter 12, he says this, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, when you will say, I have no delight in them. Before the sun and the light, the moon and the stars are darkened, the clouds return after the rain. In other words, remember God and serve him while you can, while you have breath in your body, while you have health. And then he goes on, he says, verse three, in the day that the watchmen of the house tremble, that's a figure for the arms and the hands. As you get older, they begin to tremble with weakness and age. The mighty men stoop, that is the legs, bow over. You don't walk as well as you used to. The grinding ones stand idle because they are few. The grinding ones are your teeth. And there aren't many of them left. And so they don't do much. Those who look through the windows grow dim. The eyes don't see like they used to. Maybe you have cataracts. Maybe your eyes just begin to fail. Your vision begins to get weaker. The doors on the street are shut as the sound of the grinding mill is low. In other words, because you don't have many teeth, your lips begin to close in. Harder to talk, harder to eat. One will arise at the sound of the bird, awakened by very small sounds. All the daughters of song will sing softly, but you can't hear people talking. Furthermore, men are afraid of a high place and of terrors on the road. Don't want to go out. You might get hurt. The almond tree blossoms. This is a figure for uh, the whiteness of one's hair. If you've ever seen an almond tree in blossom, it's white. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I were with some friends and one of them said to me, Matt, you, your hair is beginning to look very distinguished these days. And initially I thought this was a compliment. Uh, it turns out this is code that I'm getting old, right? You want to compliment your spouse? Tell them the almond tree is blossoming nicely. No, don't, don't do that actually. The grasshopper drags himself along. Don't walk well. The caperberry is ineffective. The caperberry was uh, believed to be an aphrodisiac. It doesn't work anymore. For man goes to his eternal home while mourners go about in the street. Remember him that is your creator before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed. The pitcher by the well is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Imagine this image of a bowl hanging up by a cord with a lamp in it. Someone cuts the cord, the bowl falls to the ground, the lamp goes out. And that's how he pictures your life. You and I are moving inexorably toward that time when we will die. And from the moment you're born, your body is already beginning to decay. And so he says, while you still have breath, while you still have the ability, he says, remember your creator in the day of your youth. Certainly if you are young, if you are 15, 20, 25, 30 in your youth days, remember your creator. But even if you are older, you're 50, 60, 70, while you still have breath, while you still have the ability, he says, remember your creator. Your time is short. 
Every week, our college staff has the privilege of going to serve uh, in a nursing home down the street. We do a little service for them. We read some passages and sing some songs and give a short devotional. And it's a wonderful opportunity to recognize that these are men and women who are on the latter end of their lives. And all of them have an opinion about how they spent their life. Either they spent it well and they're joyful and they're grateful. Or many of them, they're, they're angry and they're frustrated and they're bitter because it didn't turn out the way that they hoped. And Solomon says, remember your creator while you can in the days of your youth because your time is short. Not only is our time short, time is also a delegated resource. It's a delegated resource. It doesn't belong to us. When I was in high school, I worked at a grocery store like many of you probably did. And uh, when there were no customers coming through my checkout line, I often considered that my, my personal time uh, to talk to my coworkers, to uh, rest, maybe read a magazine off the rack, whatever it was. Uh, my boss didn't see it that way, it turned out. His philosophy, silly as it may sound to you, was that uh, he had paid for my time. And so all the time that I was there, whether there were customers in the line or not, all the time belonged to him. And so he said, if there's no customers, you need to be cleaning your register. You need to be rearranging the magazines. You need to be looking for things to do that are productive and meaningful. Because it's all his time. Many of us think of our lives as a big pie in which we have different slices of time that we give to different things. So here's my time for my family. Here's my time for work. Here's my time for me. Here's my time for God. But the scriptural perspective on your time, especially if you know Jesus Christ, is that the whole pie has the name Jesus stamped on it. He owns it. He owns your time with your family. He owns your time at work. He owns your time in leisure. He owns your time when you're asleep, when you're eating. Every moment of it belongs to him because he purchased it by his death and resurrection. And so the perspective of the scripture is not that rest or leisure or entertainment is bad, but that the purpose of it is so that we can recharge for the sake of being able to fulfill the purposes of God. Sleep is not bad, it's good. Time with our family is not bad, work is not bad, but all of these things are intended ultimately to be vessels for us to accomplish the purposes of God in our life, to glorify him, to make his name known. He owns the whole pie. Romans 14, seven to nine that Chip read a few minutes ago. None of us lives for himself, not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. Or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. All of it belongs to him. Your work time, your entertainment time, your family time, your sleeping time, all of it. This is why Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even as you sit down for that sandwich after this service, even as you go rest, even as you take a nap. And yes, as you share the gospel, read the scripture, spend time in prayer, do all to the glory of God. And because it belongs to God, we'll be held accountable for the ways in which we spend it. Romans 13, one through three. 
Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. A consistent motivation in scripture for why we are called to use our time well is because we'll be held accountable. There is coming a day in which we will stand face to face with Jesus Christ and our lives will be evaluated and your time will be evaluated. Did you use it in ways that were pleasing to him or did you fritter it away? And I think there are two dangers often that we have as human beings and as believers, we either can use our time in ways that are counterproductive to the purposes of God. Like Ephesians 5 talks about drunkenness would be one. Sexual immorality, hedon, just general hedonism, jealousy, selfish ambition, all of these things that are counterproductive. They fill our minds with evil things of the world and our bodies with evil things of the world. But we also face the danger of using our time in ways that are just simply wasteful. What Paul calls dissipation, We just fritter it away, either on lots and lots of entertainment. And so we sit and we numb ourselves with television or with the internet or with a game. Or maybe we fritter it away in lots of busy activity that's ultimately just sound and fury. Because we haven't evaluated whether we need to be investing in these activities. And I know for me it's a challenge to be intentional about my time because it has a way of ballooning up on you and, and taking over, right? Your time has a way of getting out of your control if you're not careful. Just before Christmas, I suddenly realized Shannon and I were just going 150 miles an hour and I hadn't had time to process why, why are we doing these things that we're doing? And as we were driving in the car, I said, we've got to slow this train down lest we run the risk of spending our time on stuff that really ultimately it seems important today. But 50 years from now, it's, it's going to be a waste. And so the challenge for us is pull away, evaluate how we're spending our time because it's a delegated resource. It belongs to God. The last point is this. Our time has a purpose that's been given to us by God. And that purpose has been radically redefined by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After Jesus died, after he rose again, right before he ascended into heaven, the last words he gives to his apostles, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And the message Jesus is giving them is this, because he has defeated sin and death, And he's risen again and he offers life to those who believe in him. For those of us who do, the mission we have in life, our task is to make disciples of him, to go throughout the world and tell people, this is how you have life. This is what the significance and purpose of your life is. That's our task. And he's also given us a value system from Matthew 22. In response to a question about what is the greatest commandment, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. See, our task is to make disciples and then our value system is to invest in those things that are eternally meaningful. The word of God, knowing him through prayer and spiritual disciplines and then investing in those people around us. 
our neighbor and love them as God has called us to love them. And so I have to ask, are the activities that you and I are doing, are they consistent with our task and with our value system? When you're at work, are you thinking, great commission, how can I reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ? How can I invest in the human beings around me? Because they are what's eternal, not the money I'm going to make, not the promotion I'm going to get. When I come home, am I more concerned for developing the character of my children so that they know and love and serve Jesus Christ? Am I more concerned about that than I am about whether they embarrass me at the next party we go to? Than I am about whether they can just be quiet so I can talk? Am I investing my time and my energy in those things that are eternally meaningful? Am I more concerned that they know and love Jesus than I am that they go to the right school and get the right job? How am I investing the time that God has given me? Am I investing it in the purposes he has given me? I know many of us did a lot of shopping over the Christmas season. And uh, I did some shopping. But one of the things that I have found is that there are a couple of stores for me that are dangerous places to shop. One of them is Lowe's. Uh, I love Lowe's. And one of the challenges that I face in there is if I go in to get a light bulb, uh, I might come out with much more. Right? And it's, it's all good stuff. It's all stuff that I need. Uh, but uh, my family may not see it that way, particularly my wife. So I go in for a light bulb and I might want to buy a lawnmower or uh, something along those lines. Best Buy is another one of these places for me. Go in for a printer cartridge and come out with a new flat screen TV, right? Something along those lines. And so I have to be very focused when I walk in. Otherwise, I might go in and I might walk out uh, with a bunch of stuff, but I forgot why I went in there in the first place. I went in for a print cartridge. I know it's boring. It's horrible to have to go to a wonderful place like that for a print cartridge, but that's why I'm here. I have a purpose. Now, for the ladies who are judging me, I've seen you at the mall, right? I've seen you at the outlet stores. Same thing happens. I know. You tell your husband, I just need a pair of flip-flops, right? $500 later, right? You're walking out. It's easy to get distracted. And I think that the worst thing that can happen to us when we go shopping, we spend a little bit of extra money. We have to return some things. We have to be more careful next time. The worst thing that can happen in our life is we walk through our life and we have a purpose and a mission to glorify God And to represent his value system, but we look over here and we go, "Ah, there's some more money I can make. There's some prestige I could grab. There's something that'll make me feel comfortable. There's something that will make me feel loved and significant. So we grab at these other shiny trinkets and we forget why we're here. When we're shopping, it's an inconvenience. When we're frittering away our time, it's a tragedy. It's devastating because we have a limited amount given to us to fulfill the purposes of God. So again, as I mentioned at the beginning, this is a very convicting topic to me as we start a brand new year, but it's also a good time to go back and maybe reevaluate how do you spend your time? I want to challenge us this morning to just do an exercise this week. Get Get a piece of paper. And on the left side of the paper, simply write down, what are my priorities or my values? What are the things that I say, I want my life to be about this, knowing Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, investing in the lives of the people around me so that they become more like Jesus Christ and love him better. 
What are my priorities? On the right side of the paper, write down what are my activities? How am I spending my time? Write down those regular activities first and then maybe write down those smaller things that tend to fill in the gaps. List them all out, as many as you can think of. Priorities, use of my time. And then get two writing instruments. One is a red marker. The other is a pen. Compare your time use with your priorities. Those things that don't match your priorities, you take your red marker, you cross it off. If you're married, you probably should do this with your spouse, right? If you're not, sit before the Lord in the quiet of your heart and ask him, what would you have me to let go of? Because I'm running too fast to focus on the things that are important. Or I'm spending too much time playing a game when I need to be investing in you. And then with the pen, write in those things you may need to add. Maybe it's I need to spend 20 minutes a day reading my Bible and praying. Maybe it is I need to invest an hour a week into building a relationship with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And then get out your calendar and then put things in your calendar. So we can be proactive instead of reactive. So we can use the time that God has given us in ways that honor him. Maybe that you're here uh, this morning and some of this is new to you because you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the message for you is the only way really to have a meaningful, purposeful life is in Jesus Christ. And as we talked about earlier, you and I, all of us were separated from God because of our sin. And yet God gave his only son, Jesus, to die in our place. He rose again. And for all who believe in him, you have eternal life. And you also now have a meaning and a purpose for your life. Maybe for you this morning, that's, that's the thing you need to do is simply exercise faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. For those who have, the challenge is this. Can we begin to think about our time in ways that honor God so that when we hit the end of our days, we can say, yeah, I, I remembered my creator in the day of my youth. I spent my time in ways that were significant and meaningful. I used my life well. I fought the fight. I finished the course that was set before me. So we have the privilege of hearing from our Savior. Well done, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and then if you would, please uh, stay in your seats. Chip Howard has a special announcement from the elder board before we leave. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this time, and uh, we are grateful for your word. Lord, we pray that we would uh, arrange our time in ways that please you. Forgive us for the times that we have Uh, wasted or frittered away the wonderful gift of life that you've given us. Lord, I do pray we would be intentional with our time over this next year. Thank you again, Lord, for all that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.